you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to today's episode of Unleashing Brilliance. Today I am sat here with the fabulous Debbie O'Connor. Debbie is the creative director and the owner of a company called White River Design based here in Sydney. And she's a brand strategist by profession and a graphic designer by trade. She is the founder of multi-award winning creative studio White River Design and Western Sydney's most awarded co-working venue, The Creative Fringe. She's a busy lady. She has a Bachelor of Fine Arts, uh, majored in graphic design and photography in South Africa, and her passion has always been in branding and packaging. With design experience that covers three continents, Debbie brings a diverse range of skills to the business. There is no doubt in my mind that this is one awesome woman that has found a way of unleashing her personal brilliance. So welcome to the podcast, Debbie. Thanks, Janine. It's wonderful to have you here. Now tell me, where did it all start? So I guess, you know, I grew up in apartheid South Africa. And um, I grew up in the bush on the border of the Kruger National Park. And we had sanctions placed on us because it was during apartheid time. So we had brands such as Coke, uh, so Pepsi-Cola, um, uh, McDonald's, uh, Nike, that actually never, ever had products in the country while I was growing up. And um, it really fascinated me once I was going through school that we, we knew about these brands, but we didn't have them advertised on our television. We didn't have them in the newspapers or magazines or billboards. We didn't even have them on our shelves. So how did someone like me know about those brands? And that really fascinated me. So when I started um, doing my degree in graphic design, and we did a whole industrial um, psychology component and we started talking about branding, I realized that this is a super powerful thing for businesses, that someone like me would know about brands that do not even exist in my space. And I thought, well, this is something that I really need to know more about. So take me back to being a child in apartheid South Africa. What was it like growing up? Look, it was, um, it was, well, I, I grew up in a very privileged environment. So um, in that sense, I think my experience of South Africa was very different to maybe an Afrikaner's experience and most certainly different to anybody who was uh, black, Indian, colored. Um, it was a very different experience. Um, because of the environment that I grew up in, I was also quite different as I was allowed to go to a private school where we were we had non-whites in our school. Now, the environment I grew up in, you know, whites and blacks were not allowed to use the same facilities. They weren't allowed to go to the same schools. Really, really different to the world that we live in today. Um, but the school that I went to 
we were allowed to have non-white in our school. So I actually, um, one of my good friends at school was in fact a Swazi princess. Um, so I think there again, I probably wasn't exposed to the norm either. But it was very different to the world that we live in today. Um, South Africa today, everything is integrated. And um, you know, you walk down the street now, as a white person, you are definitely a minority. In, back in the day, you were as well. But um, the, the power was just really different and, and had shifted. So um, I grew up in a very protected environment um, and I wasn't quite aware of just how profound apartheid was mm. until uh, later on when I was in high school. Mm. So when you first became aware of apartheid and what was going on. You talked about high school. What, how, did, how did that affect you? Yeah, look, uh, I, well, and I think this has probably crafted a lot of where I am mm. today. Um, I don't believe that people should be treated differently just because of their colour, their sex, um, their sexual preferences. I don't believe in any of that. So um, I think what growing up in that environment did was really cement the fact that I believe and strongly believe that everybody is equal and we all bring different things to the table and that is okay. Mm. Um, in fact, that is what makes world, the world that we live in so interesting and exciting and um, I, I really do believe that um, we all play our own little part and we should be accept accepting everyone for, for those mm. little parts. Yeah, I can. Uh, I think for those of us that were uh, in that situation of growing up in that environment, it's quite hard to understand or even appreciate what it was like living there, let alone the changes that happened over, over the years. So it's always interesting, uh, particularly when we're going through uh, or having so many conversations right here, right now, today in Australia, we're talking about marriage equality or we're even voting on marriage mm. equality. And uh, it's, it's just fascinating, isn't it, that there still continues to exist everywhere some form of discrimination. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's, very, it's very real. And, um, you know, coming to Australia was quite interesting for me because um, obviously, you know, there's the, the Aboriginal community who have been here a lot longer um, than the, say, the Anglo-Saxon community. And the big difference that happened in Australia compared to South Africa is, you know, there was still a lot of racism that happened. Um, but in, in South Africa, we gave it a name. Mm. Um, we put it into the um, policies of the country and we made it known to the world that this is how we were going to stand. And um, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't good. And um, I am very proud that I was there to go through the change that happened um, when Mandela was released from prison and um, to see what he actually brought to the country and, you know, the role model he played for the entire world um, on the whole idea of forgiveness. Mm. And how do you think that's played out for you in terms of how you... Um, live your life, how you are pursuing your dreams and your own personal goals, both as a successful CEO of an organisation and also as a mother and a friend and a wife. How has it played out in terms of your values as an individual? Look, I think um, I try and look at things in a, in a fairer way and try and see both sides of the story. 
Um, I was very lucky when I was 17. I was sent to boarding school, so that was the other thing. I was a boarding school baby. Um, but I was able, I was chosen to go onto this train. It was called EduTrain. And um, it was a, a very new concept for the country. It had never been done before. And it was, in some cases, frowned upon a little bit because what it did is it took 30 girls and 30 boys um, from um, across the, the state and put us on a train together. Now it was multicultural. And we had everything from white, black, colored, Indian. Uh, we don't have a lot of Asians in, in South Africa, but it was pretty much a, a, a melting pot of culture because what you have to understand in South Africa is we don't just have one official uh, language. We have 11 official languages. So we're talking about, um, you know, a person's not just black. They are from a tribe. And so they might be Zulu or Koza or Shangan or it doesn't matter. They, they have their own language, their own culture, and each one brings something to the table. Uh, we tend to have two white um, cultures. One is uh, English and the other one is Afrikaans. And they bring different, different things um, from their cultures as well. So putting all these kids, 17-year-olds, on a train and taking us around the country, we, we learned about the economy, the politics, the demographics, the infrastructure, the agriculture. They really educated us um, on all these different uh, sectors of South Africa, um, trying to, um, I guess, nurture some future leaders as to what we should know about what's going on in the country. And it was actually on that train when Mandela was released um, from uh, prison where he was on Robben Island and then taken home to, to be under house arrest. And that was a really big step for our country. Yeah. Now, I think, is that that same train journey trip where you had a... Life-changing experience, really. Are you happy yeah. to share that? Yeah, it, it was a life-changing experience. Um, so, you know, when you have a whole bunch of kids on a train, you're constantly uh, having to keep them motivated and entertained. And we did a lot of team-building exercises. And on the very last night on the train, um, the challenge was to fit as many people in one train compartment as possible. Now, it's a typical train compartment, so... This particular train, we had oh, everything on the train that we need, a library, resource center, uh, audio-visual center. Um, we ate on the train, we slept on the train. So it was about getting as many kids into one compartment. And so typical train, you've got your bottom beds, your bunk beds at the top, um, an area where you can stow all your, your luggage. So what we started doing was having five people down on the, sitting down on the top bunk, five people underneath, and then five people on the laps up at the top bunks, and then five people on their laps down below. And I was one of the first people, I was sitting in the corner on um, one of the guy's laps, um, and the top bunk broke um, at the corner that I was sitting underneath, and I had about a ton of weight. They worked out, landing on my back and crushing me. And because I was in a sitting position, crouched with my neck, and shoulders sort of the underneath the bunk bed, I literally was squashed in half and I couldn't breathe and I was very much winded. And um, 
the guy whose lap I was sitting on, he could hear that I couldn't breathe. So he pushed me out onto the floor, which was fine until everybody on the top bunk started jumping off and jumping on top of me. And so where I was trying to get my, my um, breathing back, every time I was about to breathe, someone else would jump on top of me. So um, somebody else saw me lying sort of crumpled on the ground realised I was in trouble, picked me up and took me into another compartment, which in today's day and age, you know not to move mm. someone that could yeah. be in a, have a back trauma or, yeah. you know. Um, and so uh, he picked me up, took me into the, the compartment. They called the nurse, um, were able to get my breathing back, which was, which was what was panicking me at the time because I couldn't breathe properly. Um, we realised later it was exacerbated by the fact that I'd broken three ribs um, but during this whole process, you know, once everything had calmed down, the nurse came, um, I kept complaining that my back was really sore. I kept saying that my back was, was really hurting. And, um, the nurse apparently took my shoes off and she was pricking my feet, which I couldn't feel. And she said, are you feeling this? And I said, no, what are you doing? And she didn't really talk to me much. And it was only when she she lifted my leg, she bent it and lifted it in the air, and I could see my leg in the air, but I couldn't feel anything. Oh and I realized then, oh my God, I can't feel my legs. Mm. That's, that's what we're talking about. I can't feel my legs. And so it just, oh my God, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I remember sitting, well, lying there, and the word can't just popped into my head. And immediately I... I, I just thought, oh my God, I can't, I can't walk. And if I can't walk, I can't run and I can't dance and I can't play hockey and I can't play tennis and I can't swim. And these are all things that I just did for granted without even, without even thinking about it, you know. And um, all these can'ts just kept coming into my head and I started to panic and get really worried and they could see I was getting very distressed. I was on a train away from a hospital. There was, we were in the middle of nowhere. Um, so I pretty much had to lie there and, and um, see out the whole night. And, um, you know, they gave me some sedatives to try and calm down, painkillers for the pain, anti-inflammatories to manage the swelling. And it was really deep into the night. And I don't know, even know how long I was, you know, without any feeling in my legs for... It, it honestly, it felt like it could have been weeks, but I know it was only hours mm. because, you know, it was in the middle of that night, uh, in the darkness while I was lying there, I started getting these excruciating, this excruciating pain, which I call exquisite pain because it meant I was feeling something. Mm. But to be honest, it was like daggers were being stabbed into my leg from my, my waist down. It just felt like daggers. Um, now, I couldn't roll over, I couldn't move, I had broken ribs. As it turned out, I broke my back, uh, fractured my femur, I pretty much had, w was in a bit of a mess. Um, and it was at that point, lying in the dark, um, you know, I didn't have anyone around me, my family wasn't there, I was essentially with people I'd only known for, I don't know, a, a week or two. And I just, it just came back to me then oh my God, this feeling is coming back. I can, I can, I can walk, I can, I can feel. So if I can feel, then it means that there's a potential that I can walk. 
And if I can walk, I can run. And then I can dance. And I can swim and I can, can play tennis. And I can do all of these things. And I think that that was a life-changing moment for me because I realized the power of the word can. And, you know, things happen in our lives. And sometimes we overcome them. And sometimes we don't. But the power of the word can is unbelievable. And so now I've taken that through my entire life. And I, the, the thing my children know they must never say to me is I can't do it. It is the one thing that just grates me to the bone. Because you know what? You're fully functional. You can think. You can walk. You can talk. You can do all of these things. So you know what? You can. You just have to try. Now, if you don't succeed, that's fine. But you have to try because you can. Mm. You have that ability. And so I, I bring that through my business as well. One of my core beliefs in the business is that uh, we have a can attitude. And you know what? If we physically can't do what you're asking us to, we will find someone who can. Mm. Because and, and I just bring that to everything in my life. So now I never turn around and say that I can't do something. I'll either try or I'll find someone else who can do that. Mm. That's such a powerful story. Have you got an example uh, where that attitude has been challenged? Because as we both know, um, the world of business and life is certainly no, not full of unicorns and rainbows. And you, know, you experienced that at, well, how old were you? Seven? I was 17. 17. Yeah. Um, so has, has, have you come across a situation since then where you've really had to, had to dig deep? And how did you get through it? Look, it, you know, these, these moments happen at different stages in our lives. Um, a, another watershed moment, and this is in fact what made me think about it, is you asked the question once of, you know, think about these watershed moments. And um, this is not to do with, with business, it's personal again, is um, I uh, met and fell in love with an Australian. Uh, we lived in South Africa for a year and a half, and then we decided we were going to move to Australia, and I had to pack up my entire life. I had to leave my family, leave my friends, come to a country where I don't know anyone. Um, and that process was hard. But setting up a business where I have no history here, I have no school friends, I have no uni friends, um, I have nobody, I had nobody that I'd worked with in the industry, I could bounce ideas off. It was a really isolating, very lonely start to the business. And that's where I had to push through with the can very much so because I, I believe that I had the ability. I knew that what I had to offer was worth people buying. Um, I could definitely help uh, businesses and brands develop. Um, and so I really had to dig deep for that can because it was incredibly challenging at the time when I started my business. Um, the GST had just come, come in. So um, businesses were in a little bit of a turmoil at that time. It's like, oh, my God, GST. And I'm like, well, you just add 10%. It's not that hard. Um, but, you know, it was that learning process. It was now having to connect with people. And I can't even say reconnect because I, I didn't even have anyone that I knew to connect with. And that's where networking came in. Mm. And that power of connecting with people and using 
the idea of collaborating rather than, you know, that sense of abundance, rather than looking at people going, well, this is mine and this is my little corner and I'm going to hold on to it and rather say, actually, you know what, I, I need help here and I need other people to help me get to where I want to go and you know what, we can do this together. Mm. And so I have a number of clients who, when I first started up my business, um, they are still my clients today and we've gone on a journey together over nearly 15 years in business um, that has been just amazing for me. And they, they're they not just clients anymore. They really are friends because they've seen me grow. I've seen them grow. Some of them have grown to multi-million dollar businesses, which is absolutely awesome. But for me, that, that beginning stage, I had to really think outside the square and go, right, how am I going to do this? I don't know anyone. And um, I actually... I live in a, a community where it's a bit of a rabbit warren. And I'd heard statistics saying that it's it's a suburb, and I heard statistics say that 10% of the homes in that particular suburb had a home-based business. And at the time, I was a home-based business. And I thought, well, 10%, we've got 6,000 homes. That's 600 businesses. How do I not know who they are? And how do they advertise? So I actually developed um, a Glenmore Park business directory. And in there, I put a map of the local area, bus timetables. Um, I went around, I literally knocked on doors and went, do you have a business in here? Um, my son was four months old, so he was in the jolly jumper in front of me. And um, I pretty much went around and said, look, um, businesses, if you're interested in getting some exposure, advertise in here. It is going out to our local community. And I was able to get 100 advertisers. And from there, 25% of them I converted into clients. And um, the challenge that happened with that, that, it was then distributed to all the homes in the local area. And the community loved it because they had a map and bus timetables and all things that um, serviced their lives. Uh, but the challenge came where a year later, I then started getting phone calls from all these advertisers going, so when's the next book coming out? And I thought, oh, shit, do I have to do this again? Anyway, I, I did it for 10 years. I expanded into the Kellyville, Rascal area. I packaged it up and sold it. Um, so that was the first business that I sold, which was quite exciting. But it's funny how those, those things happen mm. organically. Um, while I was really, all I really wanted to do was meet some people, you know, <laughs> and then start a little business and, and so it developed from there. I think one of your absolute powers, secret powers, is this ability, this deep resilience and determination that you've got. I've seen it over the years. And equally this, this ability to, to connect with people. You shared a story the other night about a new client that you actually first met 15 years ago. Can you share that? Yeah, it was one of those lollipop moments. And um, I used to, to work in the city at a little uh, studio. And it was my last day of working. And I was rushing for the train. I was about seven months pregnant. And eventually I got onto the train as the doors were closing. And this young guy shot past me and stole the seat that I was aiming to sit in. And I kind of just sort of, you know, shook my head a little bit, had a little bit of a sigh. And there was a girl standing there next to me and she went, wow, you're, you're having a bit of a challenging day. And I said, well, you know what? It's my last day of work. I'm just about to start a new chapter in my life. I'm starting up a business. 
and it's all good like life is actually good and anyway little did I know that the same lady had been traveling on the train with me uh, probably for a good eight months and I hadn't really we had never connected or anything but we used to get off on the same stop and for nearly 15 years she's been watching um, my face pop up in the local paper and winning awards and doing all these things and she phoned me a couple of months ago and she said look you won't remember me but I remember you this day on the train and when she when she reminded me of the experience I remember her then and she said look my husband and I were starting up a plumbing business and um, you are the only person I want to do my brand because I just felt the connection back then and and I've known all these years that somehow uh, we, we're going to reconnect and this is this is the moment. Yeah, how awesome is that? Yeah. Um, the last thing I just want to touch on is um, the passion that you have for your work, um, which you said started pretty early on. It started as a child in terms of the curiosity as to why certain brands you were aware of, even though you couldn't purchase them. You then went through uni and school studying almost the science behind it. Um, and you've pretty much spent your whole life becoming a master at this stuff. What advice would you share? And for me, to, to bring it into the context of the podcast, that is where the brilliance comes from. Um, the fact that you found your passion and you've done everything you can to unleash it such that it can build the life that you want. What advice would you give for, for anybody listening that is trying to find that little yeah. bit of magic? I think you really do need to tap into what you absolutely love. And for me, there are a couple of things. I am an ideas person. Like, I just, I come up with ideas all the time. Sometimes it drives my husband insane. Um, it often drives my team insane. Because uh, I'll, I'll come in and I'll go, I've got an idea. And they know it just means more work. Um, but, uh, you know, that's what I love to do. I, I come up with ideas all the time. I love to create I love to see businesses grow and develop. I honestly enjoy seeing people do well. I haven't grown up in a tall poppy environment. I've grown up in a country where we really had to help each other through. Um, and so now when I see people do well, I honestly really, I get a kick out of it. And if I've had even a small part to play in that, it it really makes my day. It, it, it can make, it can turn a really crappy week into the best thing ever mm. when I see someone achieving something that they've set out to do. So I think for most people, you need to find that thing that fuels that fire in you, something that really lights up your life. If you don't enjoy going to work every single day, then you need to change what you're doing. We spend too much time at work not to love what mm. we're doing. So for me, that is probably the most essential thing. And it was interesting. My son was asked to do a talk at school once, and it was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he delivered his talk, and they told him it was wrong because he grew up and he, he stood up and he said, what I want to be when I grow up is happy. And they said, no, you've misunderstood. And he said, no, you've misunderstood. If you wanted me to, to talk about what do I want to be, or what do I want to do, you would have got a very different answer. But you asked me that I want to, he said, I want to be happy. Oh, that's awesome. Such yeah. wisdom. 
Oh, well, such he's got a, a mother like oh, me. Such a young age. Um, what's the, the bit of advice that you may have been given that you just wish you could throw a rock at or the thing that you'd like to have a rant about? Oh, oh gosh, that's a, that's a mm. hard one. I think one of the biggest is that the customer's always right. Mm. The customer is not always right. Mm. And I think that people that adhere to that... Um, you're going to dig yourself into a hole because, and you, you're never going to make everybody happy. It's impossible. Um, so you need to make the majority of the people happy the majority of the time. And there will always be haters. There will always be naysayers. They're going to be people that are going to try and bring you down. And sometimes they're your customers. Sometimes they're your friends. Um, but what you have to do is understand that, you know what? They are not always right. And it is okay for you to stand up for yourself. And even more importantly, it is okay for you to stand up for your team. If they are not being treated well by a customer who believes that they are in the right and you're in the wrong and they take it out on your team, that's not okay. Mm, great advice. And finally, what's next for you? What does success look like for you? What does it mean? Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, I think having gone through a whole range of areas in my business where, you know, sometimes I've overworked myself, sometimes I haven't worked hard enough, sometimes the money has flowed, sometimes it hasn't, sometimes I've had a good team, sometimes I've had a challenging team. You know, business is, is a lot of ups and downs and ins and outs. And I think part of the success is being able to um, navigate that road um, be able to uh, get through it, uh, get through it with your sanity and your humility and your humor um, is, is a really important part of it. But I think success is being able to go to sleep at night and know that you've done your best, um, that the people around you are happy, that they're safe. Um, I think that's success. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much, Debbie. I've learned so much, as always. Um, incredible amount of respect for what you do, how you do it and who you are as an individual every single day, this business that you have built, um, but equally just those lessons of the resilience, the grit, the determination, the hunger, combined with a whole heap of integrity and belief and support of others um, is just simply awesome. So thank you, Debbie. It's been wonderful to spend this time with you. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.